0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about what to do with the impending volatility that you might be feeling at the top of the market so you don't lose money. Now, we're your hosts, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Wayner. Welcome, Bruce.
0: Good morning, Rachel. Uh, I'm kind of anxious to talk about this, just like people are anxious about the market right now. Um, And I'm going to actually pull uh, some of my knowledge from when I was actually a biology teacher to kind of put some analogies on uh, how it happens out in nature, how things grow out in nature, and how also how uh, some of the commodities market with my my background from growing up in a farming community. And hopefully those examples will help people understand why market cycles uh, actually happen all the time and why people are nervous about um, market cycles today.
1: Well, Bruce, I'm really excited to hear from that perspective as well. I think sometimes when we talk about money, it is very much more understandable when we can relate it to something outside of money and the financial markets. So um, thank you for that little um, sneak peek into your perspective today. So let's kind of set the stage for this conversation. We possibly have been feeling this upward trend as we look at the market over the past decade and we've seen pretty consistent growth since about 2008 and that previous crash. Now you could be looking at that and saying, hey, we're continuing to go up and there's no end in sight. But more than likely, you may be concerned that we could be at the top of the cycle and wondering, should I stay in it for the long haul? Should I continue to stay in the market? Or should I figure out something else to do? So what we're going to do today is we're going to show you how to not lose sleep and not lose money With your investing strategy and really overall, more than your investing, but your whole entire financial system that is helping you to create time and money freedom. So, our goal today in this conversation is that you will stop having to be concerned about that impending sense of crisis and really be able to focus on building your wealth regardless of what's happening in the market. So, where does this fit in the big picture of the cash flow system? Well, first, we have at the foundational level, the first level, we have keeping as much of the money that you make as possible. And then you want to protect that money. And finally, the third layer is figuring out how to make your money, produce more, and produce an income. So today we are talking about investing, which is in that top layer, the top tier of the cash flow system. So let's dive into the conversation and kind of talk about what is the current environment right now.
0: Well, before we can get into that, I think... I think the people have to understand that um, a lot of things go through cycles. And I'm not just talking about the market, but things go through cycles in nature, too. So across the United States, uh, recently, we've had tremendous wildfires and we've had tremendous flooding in this last year. And so what people don't realize, like in uh, the California area, um, you get wildfires that actually clear out growth. And um, then people think they're just absolutely t- terrible, uh, which they are because we lose property. But we're, we're also then interceding as a, a society by putting out smaller fires before these big ones come about. And nature's use of smaller fires is actually to clear out some of the fuel so that it doesn't ruin like acres and acres and acres and acres of of um, of property, and in mm-hmm. and in flooding, it's the same thing. You know, we might have um, floods. Now we have we have, have, actually have built artificial levees along our riverways, but before that, we would have floods, and floods were essential for replenishing the eroded topsoil from our lands, the river would flood its banks and bring the topsoil back and deposit it um, on the, on the land. And,
1: um, you know, I never thought about that. That's interesting. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and a lot of people have, when they were kids, they would remember that a history lesson with the Nile flooding every year. And the Egyptians would actually celebrate the Nile flooding because it would bring the fertile topsoil back onto the land. And oh, so that's
1: so interesting. You know, yeah. Bruce, when you mentioned the fires, I mean, I grew up on a farm as well. And yes, there would be people who would burn the fields on a regular basis mm-hmm. and that would return nutrients back into the soil and it would kill off everything so that you could grow a fresh crop. And, and same with um, what you're talking about with the fires.
0: Yeah. And then it, it happens in, in um, all kinds of things in nature where you have cycles where you'll have a big run up of a population. Uh, let's just use um, a deer population in an area. You have a big run up of deer population, but then the population starts uh, taking more and more of the resources and other predators then come in to the population because that's where there's food. And so um, then it goes back down again after the mm-hmm. population is, is sustained. And you're hopefully then you get to what's called a climax community. Well, market cycles uh, with money or with business—the business cycle, which we've had Bob Murphy on before, and he loves to talk about this kind of stuff—is that we have normal run-up in a market, and then we have an adjustment of within that market because we either have more people than is needed in that particular field, and we're seeing that in our economy right now. Our economy is really shifting. Uh, not only in the United States, but across the world from more of a manuf- uh used to be a manufacturing economy to more of a service based economy. And you're and you will see that, especially in the Dow Jones um, Industrial Average, where now we have all co- it used to be filled with um, oil companies and manufacturing companies, GE, for example. Now, GE is, you know, they just froze their pension this week, if any, if anybody uh, was listening, and now it's being replaced by service and computer companies like Facebook and Google and so on and so forth. So to think that everything is always going to sustain itself on a growth path forever without adjusting is just not a logical way of looking at things. And
1: You know what's really interesting about this, what you're saying, is that I read a book called The Fourth Turning, and this was quite a ways back, but they talked about the difference of our Western culture and Eastern culture. Whereas in our Western mindset, we have this idea that everything is linear and that we continue on a consecutive path of whether it's upward growth or downward growth, but we, we continue going forward all the time. Whereas this Eastern mindset is that everything happens in cycles or waves with four parts to this wave. And it's very interesting that when you apply that idea of a wave over our economics or over our periods of wars in civilization, or whether you look at um, what happens with the growth and the then return to spirituality of different generations. It's just very interesting how you'll see those patterns and those waves. And I hear you talking about that now in, in biology, in farming. And now we're about to talk about that in finance as well.
0: Yeah. And so the, the four parts in this is a, the accumulation phase to where, you know, uh, the market figures out something and, it, and, it's, and, it, and it's tied to the business cycle, which is the same thing. And then everybody rushes in because they like it. Now, that could be a product. It could also be a product where everybody likes the product in the business cycle or a service in the business cycle. And then it rushes up and, and it, it, there's a markup. It becomes overvalued. Cause people really want it and they'll pay anything for it. And then all of a sudden there's a, uh, what they call a distribution phase, or, or people start saying, now, wait a minute. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and reallocate my resources somewhere else, or I'm going to take my profits and everything kind of, it kind of, uh, flattens out And in biology. We call it a climax community. In other words, the, the right amount of resources are available. And then there's a decline because either the resources um, have been, were inflated artificially, or in business uh, something else is re- being replaced by it. So there's the decline. Uh, people all the time when we, when my my uh, clients and people I just talk to in general because they know I'm in this industry, they they always ask me, "Where are we? Uh, are we going? Is the stock market going to crash?" And I said. Well, is it going to crash? Yes. Do I know when? No. And that is because there are, just like in nature, we could do things to adjust and adjust when things happen and when they don't happen. Example with the wildfires, we adjust by clearing out part of the um, natural segment. When I say clear out, I mean, we didn't clear out, we actually put out some small fires. Or in the case of the rivers, we actually we actually build levees along the river. But what happens, and I am and I grew up on the, on the Mississippi River, and I, I've seen this my entire life. We've built so many levees now along the Mississippi River that the, the, the river actually gets higher because it can't spread out. And now the devastation when the levee is, is breached or breaks is even greater because we have a lot more pressure rushing through the levee. And it, I've seen I've seen actually video of whole houses just actually wiped out by the pressure instead of just the water gradually going in the house. And then you can clean it up later on. Well, the same mm-hmm. thing happens with artificial artificial in inflation in any kind of business where you have easy access to capital. And that's what has happened um, in the last 40 years or so where we've been manipulating our interest rates. So that capital was easily injected into the, the markets. The first one was the real estate market. And we actually crashed in 2008-9 because there was easy access. We continue to, uh, the Federal Reserve continues to put easy access to cash into the capital markets. And a lot of companies have actually, this is just one factor. And I'm, not, I'm not saying this is the only factor, but companies are buying back. Their stock, which artificially keeps their stock prices up because they can just borrow money to actually buy their stock back. Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad for the company because the companies have different reasons why they do that. But there's artificial uh, inflation going on. Now, can anybody pinpoint this? But no, there's a lot of factors.
1: Yeah, I think there is so many factors. And I I love that you're bringing in the idea of easy access to capital and what the interest rates are doing to the markets as well, because this is something we don't talk about very often on this show. And mostly because we're not typically talking about things in the stock market, we're talking about alternative investments and ways to protect yourself from that volatility. But I think it is important to understand some of the factors that go into the market cycles. And Bruce, as you were talking about the four phases of the market cycle, what's interesting about that is there's Ben Graham, who was called the father of the investment management profession said in 1959, a place where the big bull market is inevitably followed by a big bear market. For every bull market, there must be a bear market. And so he's talking about the inevitable or the impending ups and downs. And when we look at the markets, if you look at the NASDAQ and the S&P and the New York Stock Exchange over the last 10 years, we've seen this uptick consistently over that span of time. And what does that mean? Does that mean we're at the top? Not necessarily, but at the same time, what goes up must come down.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just it's you know it's funny um the reason I I actually asked you if we could do a podcast on this is because it's it's more and more top of people's minds. And oh, what's yeah. in, what's interesting is um, people know that they're emotional type people, but they can't help themselves. It's it's the it's the weirdest thing. Because, um, you know, you'll get two schools of thought. You'll get passive investing where people will just say, hey, just put your money into an indices and just write it out up and down, up and down, up and down. And you'll be you'll be OK. And then there's active investing where people are actually trying to time the market and say, OK, now we're at the top. I'm going to pull all my money out and I'm going to wait for it to crash. Now, there's a couple of schools of thought here. And people in the industry can't even agree. Economists a lot of times say that the passive uh, uh, is the best way to do it, and then you're going to have people in the industry, the, the traders, the people that are making money. They're actually going to say, "No, I can actually beat the um, the market." And when you think about it, that and that's what alpha is. Alpha is, um, let's say, it's an indice of the S and P 500. Uh, whatever you're invested in is if you can make more than the S and P 500, that is what they call the alpha. You're above that. And And how you're
1: doing that is timing and looking ahead and trying to figure out and predict what's going to happen. So you can, I mean, ultimately if you always bought during the markup and you sold at distribution, you're going to be in a position where you're going to make money and, and profit from that market cycle. But the question is, Should we do that or should we stay in it for the long haul or should we do something altogether different?
0: Yeah, the next five minutes might, if I hope the Lord helps me explain this, because this is the part that people do not understand. You get people like Warren Buffett or you get people that are uh, Bob Rice, you get these people that are really well thought of in in the investment market. And they say people should not be afraid of a downturn because that's when I'd love to go in and buy. I'd love to go in and buy, because everything is cheap then. And then, so then on on the next run up, I can actually make a lot of money. Well, that is true if you have capital somewhere that is not actually invested, so that you can go in and buy. The problem with that is that most Americans do not have capital sitting on the sideline, most Americans do have their money in the markets and to make matters worse, they're also taking distributions from those that, that capital. So in a downturn, not only are they um, losing asset, their, their assets, they are also taking away from those assets. And we've talked about this on other shows, but now it, when it does recover – the gross amount that's still in their portfolio is less because they're taking distributions off of it. And it requires them to actually make a heck of a lot more than if they just would leave it there. So it's not really passive investing because passive investing means you don't touch it. But if you're taking distributions, which many Americans are, that is why, or they're going to, they're close to retirement. That is why... Emotionally, most Americans are scared to death of a downturn. Where when Warren Buffett gets on television and says, "I like when we have a downturn because I just buy more things at a cheaper price." Well, if you if you you don't have the capital to buy more things, then that is why you feel this uh, this this really this this uh, uneasiness in your stomach. And I think that is the most important. Uh, thing that people need to understand because they get conflicting. You know, what I heard on television, I should be happy that it goes down because I can buy more. Well, if you're distributing out of your 401k or your retirement plan, you you don't have more to buy.
1: Right. Bruce, I think you couldn't have said that better. I mean, I I think you did very well explaining that. And one being the number one thing that you need to have if you want to profit in a down market. Of any industry. I mean, if you want to buy real estate when prices are low, if you want to buy stocks when prices are low, you need to have capital on the side. That's the number one position you need to be in. So you can take advantage of those opportunities, having cash on the side. And the other thing that you said is, you know, this idea of that would be somebody who is buying and selling, buying and selling. That's not somebody who's just staying in it for the long haul. And I think sometimes we can get even more nervous looking at the situation saying, okay, well, do I stay in it for the long haul? I bought when the market was going up, up, up. And, and now I'm, we're sitting at a position where I think it might come down. That could mean a devastation of wealth if your money is all tied up in the market.
0: Yes. I, it, 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 money is not just numbers. It's also emotion. And you'll, you're going to get some people in my industry uh, that will say, "Well, you know, you have to just leave your money in there because typically what happens is people sell on the way down, and they and they buy after it's already gone up a bunch of uh, a, a bunch of recovery." And Which so they, is actually
1: a way to do the exact opposite of right. what you should do if you want to make money.
0: Right, they lose on both ends. Right now. Let's talk a little bit more about more about cycles. So, following the recession of 1991, the Federal Reserve once again now we're getting this kind of artificial uh, manipulation. They lowered interest rates to spur economic grow- growth. However, uh, there was two events with which laid the foundation for the dot com crisis. And then we're using these market cycles. Now these have happened since I tell people all the time, they've happened since Mesopotamia. I mean, when c- civilization has has come about, but let's talk about things that people can remember. Uh, the dot-com crisis was actually, a, there was a rule change that allowed nas- the nation's pension funds to own equities. Before that, they had to own fixed income. And I want to bring up a little bit, um, and there was a repeal of the Glass-Siegel Act, which unleashed Wall Street upon the nation of unsuspecting Investors, because now banks could get into the investment world before that 1999, the major banks could not be in the investment, the investment world. And so obviously then they would have money that was in their banks and savings and you'd go in. This still happens to me today. I go into my local bank and I have a big check to deposit or they or I'm getting money out and they see that I have some money in the bank and they say, would you like to talk to our investment person? You know, because they they had easy access to money, and they knew who had the money, so so they could actually um, influence people putting money into Wall Street at that time. So there was another artificial influence. We had the lower of the interest rate, interest rates, and we also had the repeal of the Glass Steagall Act. Now that mean, that is another manipulation of of the um, the run up. Then the distribution phase became evident in the early 2000s as stocks began to struggle. So what happens in the distribution phase, then people are starting to not have any more money that can be put in there because we've already tapped in a, a variety of new money. But then people are starting to take profits. And then also the easy money that was going into the dot coms, the startups, they, a lot of these dot coms failed, and so we had this massive decline going, uh, coming out of the um, the dot com crash. And so, what did we do? Well, we got to spur the economy again, so we lowered interest rates, and the mortgage uh, the mortgage run up, where we had this artificial inflation of the mortgage uh, industry, and then, of course, once again because it was artificially. Hurting, artificially uh, caused this hurt uh, going up. We actually plummeted again in 2009. So, what do we do again? Uh, George Bush was famous for, oh, by the way, the Glass Steagall uh, repeal was from a Democrat, democratically held government. And then George Bush was a Republican held government. So, I'd like everybody to s- stop thinking about, you know, one party does one thing and one party does another. They all have their hands in this. Um, so we can stop like blaming each other because it's really uh, artificial uh, inflation is, happens on both sides of the aisle because mm-hmm. they want, because Absolutely. they want, they want votes. George Bush was uh, once during the uh, financial crisis, the, the mortgage crisis, he famously said, we have to, Abandon the principles of the free market to save the free market. I mean, that is one of the most <laughs> ridiculous statements in the world and any economist would agree with that. But that's what happened during that time period and, you, and everybody knows what's interesting. But it only took about three years for everybody to forget the pain. And so this is another emotional thing that people are always dealing with. They're afraid of missing out. I get clients and friends and and colleagues all the time. They're saying, well, I don't want to pull my money out of the stock market now because what if it does keep going up? Then I'm going to miss the upside. Well, if you understand that markets are in cycles and you you don't want to go through this emotional things, you don't have to go through it. There's other things you can do. And I think that's where we want to turn the conversation right now.
1: Yeah, Bruce, I think that you could not have said that better because I think I mean, we are all emotionally driven and we don't, I mean, there's the greed and there's fear that can often drive those financial decisions, especially when we're looking at market cycles. And you could say, well, what if I miss out on a little bit more of a growth? Well, what if you also prevent yourself from missing out on the loss if you pull money out now? So it's not necessarily that it's the ideal time to do that, but it's just, we want to make sure we're in a position where we're in control. And increasing cash flow, which is absolutely where we want to go. So, there's hey, Rachel, really before no you way-
0: go before you go f- further, it, it just hit me. Todd Langford, you know, Todd Langford has famously used this very simple uh, example. There's no difference between a hundred percent run up and a fifty percent loss. Yes. So, and people in, on the podcast are like, "What are you talking about?" Well, if you have a hundred thousand dollars and you actually it goes up. 100%, you have $200,000. But then if you lose 50%, you have $100,000. So you, you think, oh my goodness, I don't want to miss this $100,000 or excuse me, this yeah, 100,000 by 100% increase. But if you just get half of that in a loss, you're right back where you started anyway. So do you want to continue with this volatility up and down, up and down, up and down? I mean, that simple illustration is, it really explains volatility in, in a nutshell.
1: So what we want to do instead is position ourselves for success. And Bruce, I know that you've shared on the podcast before that in the previous volatility that with the stock market crash in 2008, you looked people across the table and in the eye and said to them, I didn't lose money. Let's talk about that position that allowed you to be able to say that and why we're saying here today, even if we are at the top of the market, you don't have to lose money.
0: Yeah, and I, I'd like to um, quote this Lance Robert from Understanding Market Cycles. He says, there's a sizable contingent of investors and advisors today who have never been through a real bear market. And and I'd like to point that out. There's a lot of people I run into that are telling people they're like 35-year-old advisors and they've never been through a bear market because they got into the industry in 2008. So they think they're geniuses. They're geniuses, you know, mm-hmm. because for the last, you know, 11 years, they were like, look all the money I made my clients. And so after a decade long, bull market cycle, which only seems to go up, you can certainly understand why the mainstream analysis continues to believe that markets can only go higher. What is concerning is the rather cavalier attitude the mainstream media takes upon bear markets, and this is what you were talking about, Rachel. Because this person says, "Sure, a correction will eventually come, but that's just part of the deal." And that's what that's what people, especially new people that are referred to me, they're they're often embarrassed that they lost a lot of money in two thousand eight nine, and they'll say, "Well, yeah, we lost forty, or we lost fifty, or we lost sixty percent of our portfolio." But, you know, everybody did. And I'll say, well, no, I didn't because um, most of my assets are sitting in cash valued life insurance, although I do have some in private investments uh, and I also have some in business and I have some in real estate. Now, people might shoot back on the podcast and say, well, your real estate went down. Well, my real estate did go down, but, but the uh, rents off the real estate did not go down. And even if the the
1: cash flow didn't change, even if the appreciation or the value of the property changed. That's
0: right. And we've we've quoted Kiyosaki all the time: nothing is a real asset unless it's actually producing cash flow. And so we get lost in these bullish cycles, and and it's found and is found in the most brutal of fashions is the devastation caused to wealth during the inevitable decline. Now, what's interesting then in this article, this person keeps saying, you know, well, that's just the way it is. And I don't know why everybody is worried about losing money, because that's the greatest time to buy. Well, I already went off on a rant on that at the very beginning of the podcast. Mm -hmm. But what I thought was interesting was uh, at the end of the article, there was comment sections and I read all the comments. The best one was by Dennis Dugan. And, and we're trying to be fair here on the podcast. We always try to be fair. We're just trying to bring a different point of view. Dennis says to Lance Roberts, the person that, that wrote the article, he says, all your points are very valid, but specific to you and other rich folks who don't live off some or all of their dividends or interests and would find it very discomforting to lose half of their portfolio in a severe downturn. As I understand your circumstances, you are able to accumulate almost all your dividends, thus creating your famous dry powder or buying more shares at a lower price. I would guess that 99% of your readers aren't lucky enough to be in your circumstance to never have to sell any shares to live off of. So for most of us, it's not always best to just stay the course maybe most of the time, but just not always. Please allow that your circumstances and subsequent strategies are good for you, but are quite different from most of us. And what's good for you may not be good for your readers. That said, I do enjoy your comments and market philosophies. So I thought that was a great way to sum up what we're talking about here today. Is that if you're feeling, if you're feeling like, you have your money at risk, but I hear the pundits say, I just got to ride out the storm. The pundits are not in the same situation as you are, and that's why they're able to say that. So if you're feeling angst, there are places that you can reestablish your money, at least a portion of your money, to, so that you can feel good about your financial situation no matter what market.
1: You know, I really love that you shared that. and I, I love this um, this quote as well from another article that we'll link to that was on Kiplinger.com. And it said, there are times when a little extra caution is warranted and when it might make sense to hold a little more cash than usual. When you see a relatively limited upside in the immediate future, that's the prudent move. Never forget that cash is a position too, writes JC Peretz, founder of the technical analysis research firm All Star Charts. Don't let anyone tell you that a heavy cash position is a bad idea. It's your cash; you earned it. If you want to raise cash during more volatile markets, I think it's a way to get chopped up, or worse, closing your eyes and hoping the big bag, big bad market goes away. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting is that Bruce, you're talking about cash value life insurance, private investments, business, and real estate, and really what we're advocating here is making sure you're in a position where you have that liquidity as an emergency and an opportunity fund, so that you have that cash to be able to invest. In assets that you can understand and control as an active investor when the time is right, when you are recognizing that the cycle is ripe for you to be able to take advantage of that asset in that particular asset class. And so, cash is an ideal position to be in so that you can take advantage of down markets. So, if you're looking for a position to be able to store cash with guarantees and safety, then I would consider privatized banking with whole life insurance. And this is something that Bruce, we talk about all the time on this show, specially designed life insurance allows you that opportunity to have cash that doesn't drop in value. That's not tied to the stock market that you have access to through guaranteed loans and a guaranteed loan provision within that policy. And so you have a position where you have cash that you're storing. That's not volatile that you don't have to lose money in. You can invest in what you know and control.
0: Yeah. And real quickly, because I know some people, they don't understand about the loan aspect of a guaranteed loan provision. What people don't realize is you can also just take your cash value back out. You don't have to do it as a loan. We do not necessarily, we can show you why you probably wouldn't want to do that. But I have clients all the time that say, I just don't want a loan. I know what you're saying, but I just don't. And I respect that emotional feeling. So we just take, we just take a distribution back out of their cash value. Um, not many of them do it, but I respect people's feelings. So, uh, listeners are saying, "Well, I, will, I would never want to take a loan against my own money." Um, you, you could still store cash in there. You just, we, we just believe you'd be giving up the compounding effect of the opportunity cost of leaving your money in there. But um, it, you really have to talk to somebody that understands this and see if the, which which way is best for you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for adding that on as well, Bruce. And I I can hear that question in our listeners' minds as they're Mm -hmm. listening to this show. So the thing that we want to leave you with is that we are not the experts. We're not telling you that for sure the market is going to take a downturn tomorrow. But we do know that after a bull market follows a bear market. And at some point, there will be a downturn. And so the question really is, do you need to participate in the market? the answer is, you don't have to participate in the market. You don't have to participate in the loss. You don't have to lose money. So if you are interested in booking a call with us to find out how you can personally use privatized banking, cash flow strategies, or alternative investments to accelerate your path to time and money freedom, you can do that at themoneyadvantage.com. And we'll have the link in the show notes as well, where you can click that link and go over to book a call to get started. In closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few